you can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Dave? Never better. Good. Top tier. You're on your way to um, Hawaii soon, correct? I'm in the air right now. <laughs> wow. That's Mentally. Mentally you, oh, only. okay. Because you sound really good. This is high quality if you're on the High plane. quality go-go Wi-Fi. Uh, yeah, I'll be in the air this evening uh, on my way to the sunny shores of Honolulu. How Oahu. fun. That'll be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Um, other fun things going on in UCLA athletics. Yes. There's a USC game coming up. Uh, UCLA taking on USC tomorrow. UCLA basketball competing in the Maui Invitational. And then... Uh, Anything the, else, Dave? The <laughs> I can't think of a single thing. Yeah. Can't think of a single thing uh, going on in the world of UCLA athletics. All is calm. All is quiet here on the Western Front. Um, oh, Her- right. Right, right. There's the elephant. The elephant in the room. Should we talk about the elephant? Oh, I think Tracy, we absolutely we have to. The, should we ignore the elephant? No, we can't ignore the elephant. Can't ignore the elephant. It's very big. Uh, we reported earlier this week uh, that Chip Kelly is likely to be fired after, well, potentially after USC, maybe as late as after Cal. Um, and uh, that's, you know, that's, what, what day did we put that in out? Tuesday? Uh, yeah, it was Tuesday. Yeah. Um, and obviously everyone knows the the reason uh, why, um, you know, performance on the field. They've been 33 and 33 through this point, 500 through almost six years of football uh nil donations um for football have not uh kept up with the need um or even remotely close to it um and uh you know as uh other things we reported uh you know there's potentially an exodus of players after this season um did you i'm sorry i was i was writing a note did you mention attendance I didn't mention attendance, oh, but okay. let's let's. Yeah, there's also that where uh, UCLA's had, I think, probably its three or four worst years of attendance in school history uh, in the Chip Kelly era. Now, some of that maybe nationwide trends, but a lot of it is. Uh, that, remember that 33 and 33 record I mentioned a few seconds ago? I do remember that, that far back. A lot of it is that too. Um, so uh, here on Friday, November 17th, uh, where do we stand, Tracy? Well, let's just clarify a lot of things. What you just listed are reasons uh, um, for why someone might think that um, Chip Kelly should be dismissed. What I reported on Tuesday was I was, like you said before that, that it was likely that Chip Kelly was going to be dismissed. So... Uh, let's just take that for what that means. Um, uh, that doesn't mean it's one hundred percent certain. Of course, life is fluid, and you know, you might people might be thinking that I'm backing away from it, but I'm not because I, I wrote it intendedly so because that's exactly what I was hearing, and I was hearing it from so many sources, so many reliable sources, over and over again that. It, it appeared very likely, I won't say, let's not say very, because people get hung up on words, that it was likely that Chip Kelly, that UCLA was going to fire Chip Kelly uh, by the end of this season, as soon as after the USC game. Um, and then I, I think it's safe to call him UCLA's biggest football donor. Casey Wasserman came out with some comments yesterday where he was um, pretty much expressing his support of Chip Kelly as UCLA's coach. And then 
so then everyone starts saying, oh my God, uh, Tracy said he's getting fired. Now it's obvious he's not. That's not what's happening. I still said he was likely to get fired. Casey Wasserman supplied his opinion and he is absolutely entitled to his opinion. And like I wrote on the forum that I'm not saying that, that it, when someone says you're entitled to your opinion, a lot of times it sounds dismissive and that's not that. His name is on that building. He is entirely, uh, uh, completely entitled to have his opinion. And he, even to have it on that high of a, a profile of getting uh, his opinion published in a newspaper. Um, if you notice, though, he didn't say the reports are untrue. Um, he basically was kind of like a, a a bro message board poster saying why he supports Chip Kelly. Uh, and that's fine. Um, I think that doesn't necessarily counter my report that Chip Kelly uh, is likely going to be fired. Um, how you would look at it is UCLA's biggest donor might be against it. And will UCLA still fire him when its biggest football donor is against it? That's a great question. And then I, in a post today, I, I brought up that question. Will UCLA still make that decision if... Uh, Casey, well, Casey Kasem, uh, Casey Kasem. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Well, Casey Wasserman. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That just rolls off the tongue. It does. Will, will, <laughs> will Casey Wasserman uh, try to influence the decision? Will UCLA listen to that influence? Um, those I think are, this those is are big this is, I mean, uh, why else? So my, my read on it from uh, outside of it, but what's what's a big time donor to the athletic department doing given an interview at this point um because that feels like trying to influence the decision or at least it feels like trying to explain away something i don't know i don't know if he's it could be that he's trying to influence the decision we all know it's kind of public knowledge that he he had a major role in the decision in the hiring of chip kelly six years ago uh if you had done that and now, six years later, you kind of feel that there's enough evidence out there, like what you had said earlier in this uh, podcast, that for him to be dismissed uh, enough to support it, 33 and 33, you might want to save face because that was your, that was your big decision to hire him. Uh, Casey Wasserman's in the agency world. Um, he's going to, I think it behooves him generally to be supportive of, of coaches publicly. Um, I think he's probably close with Chip. I, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why he might have done that beyond just the fact that he wants to influence the decision. Yeah, I, I, I just... I don't know. I think um, when you are when you have such a prominent role, then you have to be very careful about how you present yourself publicly. Um, and I either it was careful, and if it is careful, then it means it it had a, a lot of different reasons for it, or maybe you know one or two, but or it was not careful, and it's you know that's its own kind of issue well from uh, what from what i also know here's a little bit of information too um this comes from a lot of different people casey wasserman obviously donated a lot of money for the wasserman football center uh had a, a major influence in hiring chip kelly but in those the, the the approach and the attitude was here ucla look i set you up i got you your big coach now go to work and hasn't been that present I'd, I'd say, especially in the last few years. Um, so just that's something else to consider from what I've heard. Right. So, um, yeah. So it should make tomorrow's game very interesting if it wasn't already. Um, you know, this is going to be, uh, I think, for... Uh, uh, I, 
honestly, I don't even have the words to describe what this game feels like. It it feels like it turns like maybe the most um, uh, anticlimactic UCLA USC game going into it uh, in years, uh, but also potentially momentous. Um, you know, if this like it, it, if you're you know analyzing the gears turning in the Morgan Center, um, you've got you know the potential that maybe Casey Wasserman is trying to influence the decision, but then also, okay, well, uh, you know, do, if USC beats UCLA pretty good, does that influence it back the other way? Um, it's This is suddenly a much more interesting Saturday than I was considering it being. Yeah, and I, I want to say one thing too. Um, a lot of people in the forum, and I get it, they say, wow, this is kind of a screwed up situation. Um, it's so UCLA to be this way. Uh, if you ever pay attention on a very um, detailed, granular level of other athletic departments around the country, this happens, this kind of stuff, this dirtiness, you know, uh, it happens all the time. This is every other athletic department, ever, so many football programs, things are not, things are done, I, I wouldn't say poorly, it's just the way they're done, it causes issues. Um, and it's not just UCLA. You know that thing where uh, that saying, and I've heard UCLA fans use it. We, we, what's the saying? We just, uh, we just don't get good things. Is that the saying? It's something like that. We I've can't heard, have nice things. We can't have nice things. I, I've heard that used by just about every ninety percent of the fan bases around the country. Um. From the one, from the publishers I speak to, from the forums I go on, I've seen that saying used. It's the same thing. It's just it happens everywhere. So it's not just endemic to UCLA. Um, but I agree with you. I've been more distracted about the rivalry game than ever before. It seems kind of weird to be emphasizing when there's so many other plots going on to really think about. You know, dredging up the history of the UCLA USC rivalry from 1982. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, it hasn't felt like that at all. You wrote a gr- a very good preview, uh, and I find it really interesting too because we talked a little bit off mic before going into this podcast about this. Um, the match, the specific matchups from the units, uh, UCLA's offense versus USC's defense. Um, in your opinion, is that the USC off, uh, defense is incredibly bad on the level of the Stanford? Yeah, defense. it's hor- it's a horrible defense. Yeah, um, they're they're you know Colorado Stanford level. They're in that same conversation. This is a bad defense that even a hobbled UCLA should be able to at least score. I don't know in the twenties on. Um, obviously, things are linked. The success of an offense, you know, can dictate how many points a defense is even able to give up. But uh, USC, they can score pretty quick, and then they get their defense right back out there, and their defense uh, falls apart. So UCLA can score here. Um, We're anticipating Ethan Garbers is going to start. Um, He looked better this week in practice. Um, He still is dealing with some sort of foot thing, but... Um, I would expect a little bit more mobile uh, than he was looking last week in practice. Um, so he'll start. Um, their offensive line is still their offensive line, though. Um, and there are problems in that USC defense at every level. But one thing they do reasonably well is rush the passer. That's what um, I was going to say. I was going to bring up that key factor. And Bear Alexander up front, I think, is... For uh, interior for for Duke Clemens, because uh, so w- what I would do if I was USC was just I would line up Bear Alexander over Duke Clemens, basically every snap, and just see if he can beat him one on one. Because Duke Clemens has been beaten one on one by a lot of lesser defensive tackles than Bear Alexander this year, and Bear, Bear Alexander is probably one of the best interior rush guys, uh, definitely in the Pac-12. I don't know enough nationally to say whether he's one of the best nationally, but he's very, very good on the interior. Um, and they've got a pair of good edges. Um, so, uh, and Solomon Bird and uh, Jamil Muhammad. So, 
uh, they're going to be able to get after Garbers. So I think that's going to limit the potential for the offensive output. Like I think there's going to be some stalled drives when there's just too many dropbacks called because we've seen that. Uh, but there's also going to be like one TJ Harden run that goes for 65 yards and a touchdown because this is that's that's USC's mo. They give up huge explosive plays constantly, regularity worse than last year in that respect. Um, so. There's going to be some lightning drives where they score it in two plays of 85 yards, and then there's going to be some stalled drives. I think the end result is that they're going to score in the 20s. And then the question becomes, can they hold USC into the 20s? And that I just don't see. Yeah, I just I, I, I see USC at least scoring in the 30s, and I just don't see how UCLA can score that much. That's, yeah. It comes down to that. I mean, your, your analysis was so good. But I just can't see how UCLA can outscore you. And, and that's who wins the game, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, and yeah. the thing is, I mean, for everyone, USC has fallen apart too at the same time. They're one and four in their last five games. This isn't a juggernaut. Is there a valid scenario where UCLA wins this game? Absolutely. I mean, USC could continue to. I mean, there have been moments this year where their offense has looked bad. They're still the number two offense nationally, but there have been moments where it's been like, yikes. Uh, you know, Caleb Williams keeps fumbling the ball. He's not as good on, you know, scrambling as he was last year. But um, on balance, this is an elite offense, um, and it can do both things well. If Lincoln, Lincoln Riley is prone to a little bit of Chip Kelly disease in that he will just continue to pass the ball even when his run game is working like a charm, um, maybe he gets prone to that in this game. Uh, and, you know, they... they UCLA can shut down a passing attack. Um, they can't shut, and they can shut down a rushing attack. What they can't do is shut down a team that does both well and is willing to do both. If USC decides to come in with a one-dimensional game plan, because I don't think Lincoln Riley has ever looked at defensive film in his life, uh, maybe things will be different. But on balance, if you're judging like the merits of this game, it's just that explosive offense that can both run and pass well against this defense is going to score some points. Will it score 50? No, but it's going to score some points. And, you know, does, does an Ethan Garbers led UCLA offense, is that able to keep up with it? Given all of UCLA's incredible issues scoring in the red zone. And that's not just touchdowns though. They've struggled with that. It's also, they can't kick field goals. I mean, they're they're fifty percent this year on field goals, and they're missing gimmies a lot. Um, it would it would take a uh, a confluence of errors for UC at USC, which is not out of the question, but it would take some errors for USC to, I think, have UCLA win this one. So in, the, in its last four games, uh, Utah, uh, which was in the Coliseum at Cal, uh, Washington in the Coliseum, and then at Oregon. Um, that is one in three. It's averaged, USC's offense has averaged 30, almost 38 points a game in those four games. That's three losses also. At, at home against Oregon, it scored 32. And against Washington, 42. So that's, again, about 37. I, I think we're safe to say, let's just say, unless... Something really crazy happens. USC is going to score 35 to 40 points. Again, I'm going to go back to the same thing. I don't know how UCLA generates more points than that to win the game. Um, uh, and a lot of it comes down. It's not even the quarterback. It's not whether uh, the, the factor for Ethan Garbers is, will he be able to, run for a first down yeah with that foot because he's going to be under pressure there have usc has a pretty good pass rush better than other pass rushes that have given ucla fits uh trying to pass protect will he be able to run with that foot for a first down i, I just can't see there's too many things like that there's too many i just can't see them being able to sustain drives and score points um now, huge. If there's a big turnover, a lot of turnovers, that's what you're going to need. But I mean, that's every game, right? If there are a lot of turnovers, that decides the game most of the time. Yeah. Uh, um, so that that's where I stand. Uh, and it, it, 
we can't even talk about the off the field things because there's probably USC has a little bit more. I mean, which team has more to play for? Probably about the same. They both have off the field issues that are distractions. Uh, It's, it's at the Coliseum UCLA, you know, has won once there in, in many years. And that's when that was the worst USC team of all time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> of all time, I you know I don't know back in 1943, but it's hard for me to see a win. Um, so yeah, that's the take on that game, Dave. Yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, the the games Trip Kelly has won, were against two of uh, like you said the worst USC teams of all time, and that's not exaggeration. I mean, I think let me let me just pull this up because we've got a handy little guide called SRS. Um, that'll tell us uh, what was good. So in 2021, uh, that was probably uh, the worst since... Yeah, no, literally the worst ever. Um, And 2018 was the other one, and that was the worst since 1983. So... He's beaten two USC teams. Um, they just happen to be, you know, two of the only USC teams ever with a losing record. So uh, this team isn't good, um, but they're they're a lot better than that. Um, and there's a lot of soft factors too. I mean, when they play these games at the Coliseum, generally speaking, um, it's a tougher time for UCLA. Uh, it is still a road game, and it still has the same road effects. Uh, and then on top of that. There's the Caleb Williams factor. It's going to be his last game. He's one of the best college players in college football the last two years. It's it's hard to imagine him laying an egg. Um, and that's the kind of thing UCLA needs. They need him to throw two interceptions and fumble it away once. Um, and it's just it's, it's hard to imagine that guy doing that in this spot. This might be his very last college game because they're going to be in a nothing bowl game and he probably won't play in it. So he's going to want to show out. Now there's the Chip Kelly factor. Well, too. wait on that other. Maybe Leiatu Latu wants to show out too because does he? Will he play in the Cal game? Totally, and <laughs> yeah. that's and I think he would. But yeah. uh, there, there's certainly that aspect too. That's the last rivalry game for a lot of these uh, UCLA defenders. But there's a there's an ability for a quarterback to impact a game in a way that no other individual player has. Uh, and Caleb Williams is this USC team. Um, so I, that that's a soft factor. I think for UCLA, I mean, I do expect Chip Kelly's going to call a good game. He's generally been, um, you know, we've had some issues with his game plans over the years, whether he's, you know, actually trying to win the game or just trying to experiment with something. See, you know, whatever, ASU last week for one, um, where it's a question whether the game plan was even installed to win the game. Uh, this one... He's always put in a really good game plan. Um, and I would expect this week even more so, it's going to be something that's creative, that leans into strengths and away from weaknesses more than we've seen this year. And not even that creative, just like we've been saying a lot of the year, or just run the ball. Yeah, but I mean, and that's the thing, is something that leans into strengths. I mean, there's a reason yeah. that I think in 2018, Joshua Kelly went for almost... Didn't he go for almost 300 yards in that game? Mm, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I would anticipate um, something that leans heavily into the run game, keeps the stress off of, um, uh, yeah, Joshua Kelly had 40 carries for 289 yards in that game. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, uh, that keeps the stress off the passing game, uh, especially with the limitations uh, on the offensive line and with Garbers and because uh, they keep rolling walkouts out there at uh, wide receiver. Um I want to bring attention, though, to one thing that's obviously related. Uh, the interview with Chip Kelly on Wednesday that you and some of the other media conducted. That was a great interview. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed awesome. really enjoyed that interview. Um, it was really fun of Ben Bolch to throw the trivia at him. And then, dang, for Chip to get those answers on the spot, not knowing that was coming, that was that was excellent. And then talking about Terry Donahue. And then in between all that, some of the some of the comments um, 
were like substantive, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, when he was talking about uh, Ethan Garber's status. Yeah, no, he is moving around a lot better rather than he's available, not available, you know? And then he said to Ben, I think your evaluation is a hundred percent correct or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and he, you were there, he teared up a little, right? Yeah. Well, and I would say he was even teary before he started talking about Donahue. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I may be reading too much into it, but it felt like he was feeling something extra. I'll just say that. Yeah. Um, and I know some fans, we pointed that out in the forum and some fans say, well, okay, well, he's, he, he has an $8 million buyout. He's making a lot of money. I don't feel sorry for him. I, I'm not feeling sorry for anyone by pointing it out. I'm just pointing out that, you know, despite everyone's flaws, their drawbacks, everyone's human. And that's what probably makes us human are all our <laughs> flaws and drawbacks. Um, and Chip Kelly's human, and from what I've heard from many people who have spent time with him, they actually like him and fight him very personable and enjoyable to be around and generally a good person. Um, obviously, we've psychoanalyzed Chip Kelly for six years. And just to try to arrive upon some explanation on on why he coaches a certain way that he coaches. But that we're, we're not taking away from the fact that we – still believe and chip showed it on Wednesday. I thought that he's a human being and he's, he has, you know, sensitivities himself. And yeah, I just thought it was a great interview. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, in a lot of respects, he's made his own bed, um, including with his relationship with the media. Um, but that doesn't discount that somebody, you know, is still worthy of human consideration. That's why I wasn't, I wasn't super stoked uh, after Monday's, presser because we asked him some pretty i don't know we, we asked him some like pretty tough questions and it's just like what value is there in this like and it's you know i was i was going into it just so everyone can kind of get a backdoor on the process i was going into it and i'm like well do i want to ask this stuff because i already kind of know the answer and what value is there in him saying anything about being 33 and 33 at this point and then we asked him and it was just like he he did he he answered them about as well as you could, which is a non-answer. But it's just like, what was the point of that? Like, I mean, it's just, and I know like a lot of the fans are always <laughs> we get we get we get shit after every single one of these things where they're like, why didn't you ask tough questions? And it's like, I don't know, because it's just like pointless. Like at the point at which you are asking tough questions of a football coach is the point where you already know the answer. Like you don't. You don't need a tough question asked. You want a little bit of theater. You want somebody to have their feet held to the fire because it's all part of the same game. And I get that. I get that motivation. I feel it too sometimes. But it's just, it's like this is all part of the same viewing experience as watching the actual games is then watching the press conference where you get to see the guy who, who made you so angry during the game have his feet held to the fire. And it's just like, Okay, I get that. But like on a human level, it's like this is not enjoyable. I don't I don't enjoy asking those questions. I don't enjoy hearing the response. I don't enjoy seeing the like dead look in somebody's eye for four seconds where they figure out how to respond to what is effectively, why have you done such a bad job here? Um and it's just yes, it's a public figure. Yes, he's making a lot of money. Yes, all these things make me less sensitive to his plight. But on a human level, it's just like, well, that sucks. Like, yeah, just not fun. I, I mean, what it mostly is too. I don't think f fans, if you really analyze fans, you know, when they say, ask him this, nail him, nail him to the cross, just really, you're not going to get a satisfactory answer from the coach when you're trying to do gotcha questions. All, all fans really want, I think, is because of their pain <laughs> of watching the teams, they want to see the coach in pain. Yeah, they want to offload. Yeah. So we're not really in the business of that. Um, I know many fans want to just see the coach, you know, feel some pain. <laughs> well, we will ask the questions when we think they're valid to if we have a, a chance of getting an answer in relation to the sport. Um, most of the time, if you ask 
challenging confrontational questions, you're not, you don't have any chance of getting that information. No. So it's, and it's a long process. There's, there's sometimes when you pick your battles and you decide to ask the question then, but then there's a couple of times when you have pretty good interviews and that sets you up to be able to ask a question another time, because our objective again is to get substantive answers. That's what we want. We don't want to just give the coach pain. No. So please understand that when you all are, are begging. And then on top of it, this is going to be harsh. Um, it's easy to, to say these are the questions I'd ask Chip Kelly or you guys should ask him this as opposed to be standing there in front of another human being. Yeah. It's again, it's just like, I, I don't know. I, I don't walk up to like, cashiers at like mcdonald's and be like hey why are you so terrible at your job you messed up my order you know that uh, that always gets them from to not spit in your uh happy meal right well and it's just like okay it's a different standard that you're expecting from a you know highest paid public employee in the state of california all that stuff i get it i get it i get it but it's still like on a human level it's just this is not, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's rude, I guess is, is my, my number one objection to it. I'd um, say this too. There have been some UCLA coaches who most of them, even the ones that weren't doing well. And again, our objective here at Bruno Port Online is uh, if we have an agenda, it's, we are very pro getting UCLA to the point that it's going to win <laughs> the shortest line there um, we are not supportive of any or anti any human beings right um, in the course of doing that naturally there is human interaction and there are some coaches that just personally don't rub you right um, even in those instances when I've been around a coach that I just don't like I really don't like for so many reasons I've heard not good things about him in my relationship with him, he hasn't exactly exhibited integrity. Um, I don't like his demeanor. Even at that point, when you're talking and interviewing him, I still don't want to give that guy pain. <laughs> I just don't. It's inappropriate. It doesn't get you what you want. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. Anyway, I wasn't super happy with uh, with doing that on Monday. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it was nice to have uh, him. Uh, okay, we're softies, right? I'm. A, I'm. A, and I we're just nice. I talk a good game, but I'm a friggin' softie. No, I uh, think you. I, I. You know what? I don't want people to take a, come away with that idea. And I know you're not being serious. I think the the questions you asked, like on Monday, were excellent questions. They did not have an edge to them. They weren't. There wasn't any kind of gotcha to them. There was a legitimate. You could hear in your voice and the way you presented it that you were out for information. And that's what yeah. it was. And yeah. you wanted answers. So don't, yeah, I want to end on that. Okay. Fine. Okay. Well, that's anyway. Uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Then we'll see what happens this weekend. And then we'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's it for football. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. But Tracy, there's another sport at UCLA that is, well, there's many other sports at UCLA. It's a, it's a, it's a high-level athletic institution, Tracy. Uh, but there's another sport that we cover extensively. It's called UCLA men's basketball. 
Winners, did you know this? Winners of 11 national championships. I'm aware of that. Wow. That's probably why we're here. That's impressive. Yeah. Who knew? Um, there's this guy don't. back back in UCLA's history, John, John, I believe it's Wooden. W- Wooden? <laughs> impressive coach. Impressive. Um, that tradition continues. Uh, Mick Cronin uh, is the UCLA head coach. He's taking his young charges to Maui, not to Maui, to Oahu. Uh, due to the extensive uh, damage to Maui from the fires late this summer. Um, I got to start with this. Uh, Mick Cronin, uh, did you listen to the end of his press conference after Long Island? Yes. (laughs) What an incredible guy. Uh, Asked a softball just to basically say, you know, oh, yeah, it's great that we're playing in Maui. Blessings to all the people who've been suffering. Uh, Chooses that opportunity to uh, excoriate gentrification and real estate predation uh in uh in the island of maui what you get with mick cronin is you will always get his actual opinion and you will get it uh in uh in those settings it's it's really refreshing and honest and fun it it, i mean we've talked about this so many times uh he's added his just his interview value alone has added so much of interest to following UCLA sports because you never know they play well. He might be pissed off because of something, because there was something in preparation of that game. He really emphasized with this team. And even though they won by 27, they didn't do it. So he's mad, right? There might be a time when they barely beat a cupcake, but for whatever reason, he's satisfied because they did what was part of the game. You never know. And, it keeps it really, really fun and interesting. And so much of it is just raw feeling and but not just not just emotions, but feeling about his team and his interpretation of the game without sugar coated, which makes it just fantastic interviews. I seriously, I don't know if over the years we've done this site if there's I mean, his interviews are top three for value on this site. And I'm hoping everyone is watching them, even those against Long Island. Because it was so good. You, you might, you, if you don't watch the, all of them, you are going to miss, you might miss a gem in there. Early season uh, developing Mick Cronin when he's trying to get these guys to play right is some of the best theater. We like, should it is do. so beautiful. You're right. We need to do <laughs> just a real. Oh, it's just and like just and and the different ways he expresses his disgust with like something they're doing is just ah, uh, it's beautiful. And then the beautiful thing too is if he gets you, you have to know what makes Mick Cronin tick, and what he emphasizes and what means something to him. And if you ask a question that isn't in line with that worldview, there's a moment when he. <laughs> will look up and he looks like he just wants to jump across the dais and rip your face off. <laughs> <laughs> and he contains that instant and, and he brings it back down. And within a few seconds, he's back to being, you know, very amenable and answering the question. But God, those moments are beautiful. There was it's... one, there was one Friday. <laughs> that was great. That was like that. So, other than his interviews, uh, the team is really, really interesting. And uh, I watched that game probably two and a half times. Uh, wow, th- that game was real. I know, Long Island, wh- why are you so into, why is this game interesting? Well, first off, I, you brought it up. There's a little bit of matchup zone in there. Yep. That was wild. I'm all, what are they doing? Oh, there it is. There's that little kind of zone. Uh, oh, do we call it man with zone principles or zone with man principles? It's technically zone with man principles. It took me like a few possessions to get it. Actually. Because it was man with zone principles. I don't yeah, know. And yeah. it was like, oh, 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 but they're not. Okay. Yeah, they're not diving in from the perimeter. They're staying out there. Okay. So this has got to be zone. Um, but it's. I mean, it's a little funky. It wasn't working very well. Like, it didn't work very well. But the fact that they're displaying it and showing it 
uh, is interesting. Um, and I think it'll give them, you know, uh, Marquette has to spend a little bit of time prepping for it. Which, Less hedging, more dropping. Yeah, a lot of dropping. I mean, Mara was, I mean, it was almost entirely dropping from him. He, he hedged like once or twice, yeah. and then the rest of the time he dropped. Which, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, is possibly also, I mean, <laughs> he's just not experimenting. He is trying to win the game, so that has to do with the Long Island scout at the same <laughs> at the same time. But it's really interesting how the team's undefeated. I mean, they've played cupcakes, but he's been able to uh, he's been able to, you know, uh, blow out these teams and experiment at the same time. That is, you'd think maybe one game would be really close if you're experimenting like this, um, and it hasn't been. Uh, this has been, <laughs> given the team he has and what he's trying to do with them and the, and the lesson and the messages he's trying to send them, this has been masterful coaching. I, got, I, I mean, we talk a lot about that he's a good coach. This has been masterful coaching. This is not easy to do. Most coaches won't do this. They'll just go out and play their their starting lineup 27 to 32 minutes a game, They'll have a rotation because they they're just their theory is I'm going to win from the beginning and I and I we need to win and I need to get all of these guys as as good as they can get now. With this team, Mick Cronin hasn't done that, um, and it's been really amazing to watch. In this game, the takeaway was. So I just want to talk a little bit about this. Um, I had never seen a die Mara in person, but I watched a lot of film and just not highlights, but I watched probably eight full games and caveat on that. A lot of them were not highly competitive games, um, but I think I had a pretty good grasp of the type of player he was and having done a lot of basketball scouting in my life, how he would project as a college, a, a American college uh, basketball freshman. Uh, so he he first plays, doesn't look very good in his first couple appearances in games. Uh, I tell everyone this is the first competitive game he's played in four months. Uh, someone says, what did they say? Oh, they said the Arizona Foreign Center is much better than Adai Mara. Mara is just going to struggle the whole year. Arizona's got something there. And all I said is just, I think I responded, wait for it. Um, we didn't have to wait too long because, as you wrote, we really saw flashes of the talent. Yep. Um, he's got a long way to go. He's got a lot to learn, especially defensively. Um, but we saw his best... His his best skill is probably his passing. We saw a hint of that, but then we also saw his offensive game. And how many he played like twenty three minutes? Twenty four. Yeah, twenty four minutes. Um. So and it was again. You got to admit who he was playing against. It's not going to be that easy against high major posts. But that's and. Development is not a straight line. It's a jagged <laughs> uh, path forward. So he's going to have some... Uh, along those lines, I saw a post... Oh, Sebastian Mack. Yeah, wow. Step back. Just not very good. Where, like, two games ago, people were saying how great he is. This is a long haul. The overreaction to every little... Uh, not just every game, but every thing... Every development within a game is just is excessive and i know we are promoting that with the with the forums but just maybe have a little bit bigger perspective on this um when it comes to especially this season because we're going to see a lot of development with these guys and sometimes they're just not going to look very good and then they will um dave your opinion of a daimara 
Yeah, I, I, I want to um, build on your point about, you know, it's going to be harder. A lot of it's going to be harder. His ability to catch is going to be a lot more difficult than it was against Long Island. Like, there's going to be teams with real bigs who are going to body him up and make it physical, and that's going to be hard on him. His ability to score easily out of the low post, it's going to be harder because he's going to go against more physical defenders who are going to be allowed, as Mick Cronin alluded to, to beat him up a little bit because he's so big. Um, so there's going to be a lot of that. But two things that I think everyone saw, but I, that I think will translate, that passing ability, like the way he was working with Jan on the cuts um, and anticipating where he was going to be, throwing it in a perfect spot for him to then finish, that translates. And then the other piece, that feathery touch on those straightaway jumpers was really nice. And it makes me want to see him extend out to three a little bit. Uh, and that's the piece that, because I think Mick Cronin's going to insist on playing two bigs this year. Uh, the more I watch, the more I think we're going to see a lot of it. And I don't know. I really, I'm out on it as a the most highly efficient lineup, but fine. Um, if it's going to work, it's going to require one of these two guys, Mara or Bona, to hit some outside shots, to hit some from you know, mid-range, doesn't even need to be three, but from mid-range, just to open up some spacing. Uh, Mara hitting those is a really good sign. It's a really, really good sign. It'll it'll force teams to defend him out there, open up, you know, driving lanes, open up low post opportunities for Bona, open up the big-to-big uh, alley-oop opportunities that we've been talking about. Um, so to see that play in a in a game um, and to see him show that kind of stroke and touch was really really good to see it's funny it, it's true it's absolutely true um but there's so many different nuances to a to to big offense uh the obvious one and we've been talking about it is a high low stuff uh generally except for the first five minutes of the first game it hasn't looked very good um and a lot of it is spacing. A lot of it is knowing where to go, what to do. I, I mean, they've been looking for that alley-oop, and I don't think there's been one. <laughs> it, it just hasn't It hasn't happened. Um, you're right about hitting that outside shot will open up, will open up room for the low post. They'll have to honor it, uh, opposing defenses. But what we saw a little bit more, too, was two posts on the opposite blocks in this where after they set up the offense, everyone moved. Both uh, posts ended up down on the block on each opposing block, which was really, there were moments when that was really effective because who's, uh, defenses can, can defend a high-low thing a lot easier. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's, that's what they are taught in practice. Uh, teams generally do a lot of that instruction in practice because you know that's the that's a natural thing, especially in this one in four out kind of stuff. So they know how to defend against that more so than in college basketball today. If you've got two posts who can score score in the low block and you got one on each and there's good spacing and someone who can feed them the ball, what do you do? Okay, so you got your big, your big, big on a Daimara. So then you're going to have a little bit of a smaller guy on uh, a Dembona on the other block. How do you help? Do you, do, you, do you double with those guys or you bring someone, you collapse someone down from, from the perimeter? There's a lot of decisions to be made there on how you defend that. And... The the times in that game when Adiamara was really effective was when he was singled up with the defender. And that really worked. He's devastatingly effective. Any way they can get him singled up like that, he's going to have an advantage inside because it's just not his straightaway touch. I mean, that was new. But man, his touch around the basket is is really something with either hand. Yeah, so, but I guess my point would be... Th- all that stuff is easier when you only have one down there. Um, Cause if you put Bona down there, his man can help off of him. And it, it a, lar- a large part of that will depend on Mara then being able to 
get the ball through two defenders to Bona for an easy dunk, and sometimes he's not going to be able to. But if you do a four out, one in when Mara's in the game, he's going to have space to work down there. And if he gets doubled down, he's a really effective passer. Um, yeah, but as you said, it looks like they're going to be running a two a two big. Yeah, offense. no, I I, yeah. I think we have to work within the bounds of the reality. That That's we, what I'm saying. That is working being dictated those, to us. Working within those bounds, I saw some evidence of optimism because to me it didn't look like that up until and it's still not great but up uh, you had not seen the two bigs work well offensively together right except for those first five minutes and what i will say is some of (laughs) that and 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 the reason i think it looked a little bit better in this game too and this i i don't mean to knock him but nuba played seven minutes in this game instead of 20 plus um like he did in the first two so Having Mara available for a little bit longer makes those lineups better because he's a, well, let's just say it, he's a better player than Nuba is. Um, Here's the other thing, too. Um, you can get a little bit, I don't want to say fancy, but uh, you you get the rebound, you get the defensive rebound, you bring the ball up, um, and then you get into your offense. So then they're running like a handoff. They did less handoffs, by the way. Not a fan. Um but they're doing this all out above the key and running all this to try to get a look into a big. It's hard for me to see why you're trying to get a look into a big when he's out setting ball screens and doing all that other stuff. And there's a time in semi-transition, it's not just pure transition, bring the ball up after defensive rebound. There have been times, and I'm not just saying generally because it's generally so, but in watching UCLA so far this season, Adaimara hustles his ass down there. He actually gets down the court pretty well. And he's set up on the post. Feed him the damn ball. <laughs> uh, why do we have to be so fancy? Get him the ball. They, the defense isn't set. He's got one guy on him. Get him the ball. And there's been so many times when he's down there and they don't look his way. And then they get in the offense and they start running their stuff. And now we're, we're 18 seconds in. Yeah, there was, there was much more of a – I mean, this uh, – somebody posted on the board and I think it was correct – much more than a game, this was a live practice on post entries. Like, this was just get and the not, ball into the bigs, and that's and they, it. And they're still not doing it enough. No, but this game was much, much better in that respect. And I think part of the thing with the dribble handoffs and all that kind of stuff is that's going to be their offense when they play real teams. Like, they're going to have to run some actions to get uh, open post entries because real teams are going to be able to defend, you know, just straight post-ups, and you get the ball over to the wing and dump it into them. Um, so they're going to have to do actions to get the ball down. And I think it's just practice for that. Like, I think some of it, yeah, it would be nice if they just gave the ball to Mara 20 times in a game against one of these cupcakes and, you know, he scored 40. I just, I don't think Mick's interested in that. I think he wants to see, okay, can we actually run the stuff that we're going to need to do to beat USC, to beat Marquette, to do all that kind of stuff? Um, because they're not going to be able to just, okay, Mario, you go down on the block. I'm going to dribble over to the wing, and then I'm going to be able to throw it into you because I've got a 6'4 guy guarding me. I think um, we might see more oppor- – I think there might be more of an opportunity. To- I get exactly what you're saying, and it's true. But I, I think there might still be an op- – just because we're working toward what they probably will need to do against high majors, that doesn't mean still not to take advantage of it first. And then secondly – I think they're going to be able to have more of an opportunity at that than than maybe we think because so. of UCLA's personnel. Yeah. So um, the, the the elephant in the room here, it's a smaller elephant than the one with football, but the elephant in the room is when are we going to see my name, my man whose name keeps getting butchered by every single announcer when they talk about him, Barke Buyuktunjil. Uh When are we going to see him? Well, first off, before we get there, I just wanted to say one significant thing in that game too was – Jan Vide's seven assists. Yeah, baby. He was the best post feeder. He was the best passer in that game. Um, that was without Dylan Andrews. Someone needed to step up and fill and that. And he's got some height, which helps with the post entries. Yep. I, I, I think as he gets more and more comfortable playing for McCronin, I think we're going to see him <clears throat> more and more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not only because of those post entries, but he'll get – he is – he is money when he drives into the lane with his little floater runner game or his pull up. I mean, too. And he's going to get more and more comfortable and be able to take that shot. 
Yeah, um, him evolving from uh, you know Jules Bernard freshman year uh, in the opener to Jules Bernard junior year in this game was really nice to see. Um, he played 22 minutes, and Will McClendon played 23. So yeah, 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 comparable, comparable. Um, um, so yeah, Berke, Berke. I can safely say we are not uh, keeping any information from y'all. No one knows. UCLA does not know. It is they are at the sole mercy of the NCAA. Good feeling. And from what I've heard, he should be absolutely eligible. It's just a matter of of how long the process to get him eligible is taking. Insane. Insane. Uh, it's insane. Um, it's now three games in. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's only so much of a college basketball season. Like, he just missed all of the development opportunity before you go into the big games. So and even if he is cleared, it's like, are you running a guy out there for 30 minutes who's who's not played in a competitive game? So so let's look really smart, too. Um, Berke is going to come in and compete with Adai Mara as being the... I, I, well, back up. Adem Bona, obviously is a great offensive... He's become a, a pretty effective offensive force. For the only reason is that he's just so athletic and big and strong, he just wills... I mean, he, he hit a jump shot, but he wills the ball into the basket. I mean, does he have good post moves? No. How is he scoring? How did he score 20 points? How did he score 27 in the first game? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you come away going, God, I don't really know. You, you remember Adaimara just about every single... You know, <laughs> yeah. post score. I, I even remember the 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 right handed full hook from the wing that yeah. was whistled. I mean, it was whistled dead before you even threw it in. But it's like, whoa, that's so something. Pretty. So this that's that's Berke too. He he is that good with his back to the basket. He can he can face. So you're going to have another offensive force here. So you're going to have three bigs who score. That's also why they've got they've got to develop that two that two big offense because when Berkey is going to play twenty five minutes a game, where are they going to find that? I, I, I they absolutely wouldn't be able to do it with one big offense. Two big offense is going to Bona played twenty nine minutes and Mara played twenty four. Where does Berkey get his? 25 well i'll say this mara's not going to play 20 he's not going to average 24 um he's going to foul out of a lot of games okay um, he'll average 20 that's four more minutes it's got stefanovic played 37 he won't play that much he won't play that much um so he'll take some of those but i, I i'm not even literally trying to sort out where the minutes are going to come from i'm just saying this is why mick cronin is also doing this because he knows what Barricade is going to bring to the floor. Yeah. And it'll be interesting. Um, I mean, Nuba obviously goes to spot minutes, but then you're probably seeing the Williams brothers also um, go into more spot work. Um, and by Williams brothers, I do mean not actual brothers, but it's hard to talk about them as anything other than because they both have the same last name. And I want to go say something about, about Devin Williams. Like I said before, I've watched that guy play a lot in high school and AAU ball. Trying to project him... Uh, as a college player when he was a prospect, it's it's a little weird because, yeah, he was tall, he was athletic, he blocked shots, he could shoot threes, he'd get alley-oops. He floated do, a lot. He just kind of floated. He is... He's doing things serious. Most of the time when they become a college player, um, you saw flashes of the type of player that he was in high school... There's things he's doing that he really didn't even show as a, as a high school prospect. His feel for the offensive glass and what he's doing on the offensive glass in limited minutes is really impressive. <laughs> he's going to be, not this year, I don't even know when, but given what he's showing right now as a freshman, which I thought there was n no chance. Uh, I did not see this in his game at all. He's going to be, he has a chance to be a very good college player who's going to be a really tough matchup. Yeah. 
pogo yeah. stick athleticism. Yep. So yeah, that's been my other takeaway so far. Yeah, that, that he's oh, been. Oh. Yes, Dave. we got to talk one other takeaway then. Okay then, my man Alan Fibloy. Uh that Jalen Clark comp is looking so dead on. Um, this guy, he had the uh, the 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 offensive rebound put back, and then that take from the wing where he just dunked it uh, from like. That was one of the craziest body control things because he jumped from like one side of the key and like dunked it on his way to the other side. Uh, that was really impressive. But his defense in the last couple of games, uh, this one and then, I mean, this one I think was a little bit rougher because he started fouling a bunch. But the previous game, he came in and basically just shut the water off on who was that? St. Francis? Yeah. Um, that was really impressive um, for a freshman to come in and do that. Very. Very Jalen Clarky. Yeah. So, uh, since we will not do one of these before Marquette, yeah, they're, they're probably going to get blown by Marquette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're going to get smoked. Uh, um, uh. you know, on one hand, Marquette's a good matchup because they're they're small, but on the other hand, they're a bad matchup because they're small. Yeah, and UCLA's guards, I don't know. Guards and wings, generally, I don't know are up to the task of that one. Yet, at this point. Yeah. I think more than anything, what this is going to be is you start to settle in in the level of competition. This is going to be like a shock to their system on what this level is now. How Not just how good these guys are, but how tough, physical, experienced, yeah, that's going to be. I think we're going to see a lot of faces like from UCLA's freshmen that are a little shell shocked. Yeah, when they play these guys, I'd love you know maybe we'll see a a rematch in March when yeah. when the freshmen aren't as shell shocked. Well, and I'll say, I mean, it's not a no chancer. Um, you can see a scenario where UCLA kind of. I don't know, keeps it slow, um, tosses it into the post, and Marquette doesn't have a great answer to that. I mean, you can see it. They would have to shoot really poorly. And the thing is, UCLA is not going to be able to win that game hitting no threes. Like, they're going to have to shoot from deep. Um, And I'm just not sure who provides that. Uh, There's also, I mean, Dylan Andrews missed this last game. I don't think anyone is expecting him to miss Marquette, but... um, you know, that has to be acknowledged too. Really fast. Let's talk a little bit about, I know it's early, but just our impression of the Pac-12 so far. Um, mm. Just because Colorado's I want to talk, really I want to talk about USC losing. <laughs> yeah. USC lost to UC Irvine. They were down a couple of players, but they lost to UC Irvine. Yeah. They were down a couple of players, but I, I don't, I don't like the dynamic of that team. And we, you know, it was easy to call Isaiah Collier and Boogie Ellis together, but just thought the whole chemistry, everything there doesn't, it seems like there's something wrong. There. Um, speaking of which, Stanford, they're two and one, but they don't look very good. No. Yet. Um, Cal looks Cal terrible. looks terrible. Washington looks a little worse than I even thought they'd look. Yeah, um, they lost they lost to Steve Alford, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um ASU pulled one out against uh what was the name of that team last night? UMass Lowell. Okay, so I, my job is in college sports, and somehow I've blocked out that there is a UMass Lowell on earth. It only became NCAA in the last 10 years, I think. Did you did you know about it, that it existed? I've heard the name. That's it. Okay. Yeah, I might have heard it, but I forgot it, and now yeah. I went... Okay. Wow. Interesting. Good. ASU is terrible. Where's Lowell? In UMass. In Massachusetts. <laughs> Good answer, Dave. Uh, they were losing most of the game, and they pulled it out at the end. Arizona State also looks like a mess. Um, that's a bunch of transfers. Throw them all in together. Ugh, they're they're going to have to build something. Utah looks pretty, not too bad, if you've watched the Utes. Really big. They went with this massive lineup yesterday that was, I think, 6-5 to 7-1 or something. Uh, the top half looks pretty good of the Pac-12. The bottom half don't. No. and I, Yeah, I mean, I think Colorado and Arizona have probably looked the best of anybody right now. 
Um, Colorado hasn't played anybody, but they've been pretty impressive. Um, Cody Williams has been a little bit more, I guess, ready to play than I thought he would be, which yeah. has been good to see. Uh, yep. But K- KJ Simpson's been playing lights out. Dang. Yeah, Dang. that would have been a nice one to get. Yeah. Uh, and Arizona is doing what Arizona does in the preseason. Uh, they they beat Duke, which is a real game, and then they beat uh, something called Morgan State by like 70 um, for God knows what reason. I guess Tommy Lloyd just loves gaming the Ken Palm rankings. Yeah. Um, They'll have some more real games coming up, but they they look pretty good so far. Did you watch that Duke game? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't impressed with either team that much, actually. No, but they're fine. I mean, yeah, it's 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 a better resume win than most anyone has at this point. So you got to give them credit for it. But yeah, I mean they they won seventy eight seventy three in Cameron. Um, Duke is fine. I mean, I I don't think Shire is a very good coach, but they've got some players. Yeah, exactly. Okay then. All right. Well, uh, that's your extensive uh, show. I'll be in Hawaii next week, um, but I will. Uh, I'll be recording my post game broadcast tomorrow. And uh, yeah, do you, do you want to sing a little Hawaiian song, like a little Don Ho song? You know, who Don mm. Ho is. I don't have much Don Ho in my uh, in my discography. <laughs> um, okay, because you always kind of have a little tune every once in a while. I thought yeah. you, you might have a little a little yeah, hula like thing. A, no. Oh, wow, you went... I'm doing a little Lilo and Stitch there. Yeah, got it. Instead of doing like the white guy's impression of it. No, no, no. I was just doing the most... That was nice. Well, you got to understand, I have, have, uh, you know, relatively young children. And so my touchstones will always be uh, animated films. There you go. Yep. Except, okay, sorry, guys. You can turn off now. Dave and I are going to talk for a while. Um what movie do they keep obsessively watching that you were really smart and got them to watch? Because if they're going to obsess over something, Princess it had Bride. to be Princess Bride. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We said that last week, right? We did. Yeah. That, yeah. that was such a good move. Okay. Let's go. Yeah. Let's All leave, right. Dave. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we will talk to you again next time. See y'all later. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 